Good morning. What a great song. That's a good one. Brian, you were the one that was requesting that, so thanks. That's... What a beautiful picture that is, right? Like Christ magnified, like magnifying glass, right? Like that, that, that you don't, it distorts everything else except for the thing that matters. I pray that that's, uh, that's the case this morning, that everything else would be distorted and obscured and Christ would be magnified in our study of his word this morning. Um, would you please join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for this time. We want you to be magnified, God. Help us to see you more clearly through your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. We pray, Father, that as we read these words and we try to understand and apply them in our lives, that you would just remind us that we are clothed in your righteousness alone. We look forward to the day that we stand faultless before you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Sometimes, man, those songs. <laughs> well, I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, welcome. Today is a, a really cool day. Um, I mean, every day is a cool day, but today is in particularly awesome because um, we're going to be installing Tim Crandall as an elder. Um, and, yeah, yeah, sure. We can applause later, but no, I'm just saying. Um, and, um, and we're going to be uh, announcing Larry Yancey as our new worship director. And so, um, which, you know, I just, what's awesome is, is the servant's hearts that, that both of these gentlemen have. And, um, you know, we, we take these decisions not flippantly. You guys know that we've been, you know, patiently working through and trying to discern God's will and, and all this stuff. And that's, this is ultimately the goal, right? That, that Christ is magnified. Like, that's all of our goal. And that's, that's what we're trying to, to do. Um, we're not trying to, to find, you know, the best, most talented, right? Like, that doesn't matter. What matters is that God is glorified. And so... Um, so anyway, so it's just, I'm really excited, and I'm t a little emotional, and, uh, you know, which isn't super abnormal, but um, we're, we're only going to be studying three verses this morning. So Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, and, um, but don't worry, I will, uh, I will, I will be, not as long as I was last week. Thank you guys for your patience last week. I did not know that I yammered for that long, uh, and I, I hope that it was all a blessing and that you guys weren't sitting there for the last 10 minutes going, let's wrap this thing up. Um, but, you know, um, I, I, yeah, there's no, no real excuse other than I just uh, lost track of time. So um, I, I appreciate your guys' patience, and, and you know, it, it's tough when people say, you know, like, I, I don't know if you've ever, if you're in like the the reading stuff on like how long you should speak for. I mean like like the 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 literature says that your attention span is like twenty minutes. Um that's what they say. So um thanks for not I because I couldn't get anything out in twenty minutes. I'm already like five minutes in. I haven't said anything. Um so um 
I mean, honestly, like, I, I don't understand how I could get anything of worth uh, in God's word conveyed in less than the amount of time, right? And, and so I am, I am a, a servant of the text, and so sometimes it's, it's 20 verses that, that I'm going through, sometimes it's three, and uh, so this morning you'll see me drag out three verses for an extended amount of time. Uh, I'm joking. Um, it's good. Man, this morning's verses. So this week you guys read through, uh, you should have read through Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. We're going to start in 7. We're going to see like that, that continuity of Paul's thought, because otherwise it seems kind of jumpy. Um, so like last week we talked all about the genuineness of love and, and what does real love look like, right? And that's what Paul was expressing to us. You know, usually people go to like 1 Corinthians 13, they're like, that's the love chapter. Uh, and you're like, no, well, like this whole thing is God's story of his love and affection for us, right? And so... Um, and so what we saw Paul do is he, he, he's expanding on what God's love looks like living out through us, what's genuine love. And, and, we, ta- and we connected that, right, to the, the command that our lives are living sacrifices, right? That's, that's what Paul launched in chapter 12 with. Remember the first 11 chapters were all like the foundation of the gospel, building that. And then he's going 12 and then through 16, it's like, okay, now what? What's the implications? What are, what are the imperatives of this gospel and how does that live out in our lives and so um so last week it was like you know this genuine love it's not just about you know this this emotional love that the world looks at and and that values but that it's that it's this sacrificial love that it sacrifices ourselves which is a tough thing to sacrifice um and it it sacrifices our self-sufficiency right and we saw like like that we're a body of believers and and that God created the church to be different members, right? All of one body. And so this idea that we're self-sufficient, like, is out the window. Like, that's a great, sure, that's a great worldly ethic, but it's a worldly ethic. And so self-sufficiency is not something that, that the Bible teaches, and, and it's part of our love for one another. And so this is transformative. It's totally different, right? And then, and then this week, you should have read, and he goes, now submit to a, your authorities, which is, man, I don't know if you guys say this in your small group, but our small group is like, ah, Man, how do you do this? But what if, but what if, how, you know, like, is it, are there exceptions to these things? And we're not going to get into that this morning. So if you didn't read those, I encourage you to go back and read them and try to really grapple with those truths. Um, I will say just in, in large part, just to quickly summarize that, Jesus is really clear. He's not starting a rebellion. That's, that's really the best summary. Like, he didn't, he's like, I'm not fighting this with swords. Like, I'm not coming here trying to take over the throne from Rome. And sometimes I think that we start to think that that's what we are, that we're trying to fight this fleshly, earthly battle, and we get ourselves into the mire. And he's like, that's not what God's about. It's about transforming hearts. And so he ends in chapter, or in uh, verse 7, talking about, like, dude, respect and honor and obey people over you. That's a, that's a profound truth. Now, you're probably going, yeah, but there's a lot of good rebellions, and there are. So, it, it, you know, how do we balance those things? I don't know. Not what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, but we are going to start there in Romans chapter 13, and we're going to start in verse 7 and then work our way into the new verses this morning. The verses will be on the screen. If you have a Bible, please get it out and follow along. If you've got it on your phone, please you know, open that up and, and take notes and um, underline things and write all over your Bible. It's okay. It's good. Write, write all over it. Like, 
It, it should be a mess. You should have to change out your Bible every couple of years because you can't read anything anymore in it, right? Like, that's, an, that's a good thing. God doesn't, like, keep the pages clean, right? It's not like that, okay? All right, so Romans chapter 13, verse 7. He says, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Verse 8, owe no one anything except to love each other. See the continuity there. He's saying, like, you owe these people this. And then he makes this, like, what seems to be a contradictory statement. He's like, owe no one anything. Be a debtor to no one. And so there's this, there's this shift. And we're going to spend a little bit of time on this because I think it's important for us to understand the, the metaphor here that Paul uses. He says, okay, we're talking about respect and honor and owing. Like We're talking about authorities and civil life and, and all of these things. And he says, but don't owe anybody anything. Personally, and the commentaries are split on this, I don't think this is a, a, an instruction for your financial stewardship of credit cards and home loans things. I, 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 th I think you can maybe go down that with other verses in the Bible and, and things, but I, that's not, I don't think that's what Paul's point is here, okay? Right? Like, he's saying, don't owe anybody anything except what? To love one another. So his point is to make this transition from paying your taxes and, and owing respect and honor to doing that with everybody through love. Um, now, I could be wrong on that, um, but as I, as I heard one scholar say this week, I have the right to be wrong, and so I'm going to take that privilege, and, and if, and if uh, you know, and if, yeah, anyway, we're going we're gonna to leave the debt piece of this, but, but think about that metaphor. Dig into this. He, he translates our love for one another to, to debt, to being in debt to one another. Like, who here has some debt? Come on. Who here has a credit card, a balance on your credit card, a home loan, an auto loan? You owe your parents. You owe your kids. I think I probably owe my kids something. Come on. Nobody's even raising their hand. You're like, nope, I owe no one anything except to love. <laughs> you guys are punks. Um, <laughs> all right. So, anyway. Um, when you owe somebody something, that means it's, it's, a, like it's a line item in your budget, right? You can't just blow it off. You can't just say like, huh, I, sorry, I forgot that I owed you that monthly payment. Oh, I forgot that I, right? Like, like my, my, uh, my buddy, um, uh, he, he, would also, he, would, he would loan money to people, like just if you're out to dinner or whatever, and his, his sorry, his call sign's Reno. Anyway, um, just that just opened up a can of worms but we'll just we'll move on um and he goes um it's the bank of reno and so he would say like do you have good standing in the bank of reno and it would and it was based on what your priority to repay him like we're friends we're really good friends but he's like you know your standing's not great with me frankly because you took like a week to pay me back and i know i knew you had access to money you just didn't because you forgot about it it's not a priority it's a good way to think about that, right? Like, there's no emotional connection with the bank, right? Or, like, your, your loan servicing mortgage or anything like that. But they expect you to prioritize in your life. Fair? Like, you, if, you're, if you're going through your line items and you're like, Netflix, 
okay, now I'll pay my monthly car payment, right? As a parent, you would say, no, don't do that. Pay your car payment first, and then if you can get to Netflix, by all means, right? It's a priority. And so what does Paul say? We have a love for one another that ought to be a priority in our lives. Just, just wrestle with that one for a second. Because we prioritize things with our time. Financially, we prioritize them with our, with our budget. With love, we would prioritize that with our time, wouldn't we? How else do you show somebody that you love them? But to give them your time. I don't need a monthly deposit from you. But I'd love to hang out with you. Right? With love. And so what's our, what's our budget of time look like in our lives? Is it, is it me time? Is it a small circle? Is it you and somebody else? Or is this, is this, we have a debt that we ought to prioritize loving one another. There's no bounds on that. Now, there's some practicality, right? You can't love the whole world. You can't give everybody your time. You still have to brush your teeth, right? You still have to, you still have to live. But do we think that way? And I, I think as Paul's rolling into this, I don't think we do. We, we think of love as like this additive thing, yeah. Like, I'm very functionally good at, at whatever, and then I could tack on a little bit of love. And maybe as I get older, I'll tack on a little bit more love. And then when I'm like an old person, like, I'll be a really loving old person. And it's like this, it's this additive thing. It's not. It's not what Paul says. It's not, it's not what God's word reveals to us. It's that love ought to be a priority just as the rest of our debts are a priority. But, but here's the crazy thing about love. You ready? You'll never pay it off. I've gotten many, I mean, what a great letter in the mail, right? When the bank's like, you have paid off your loan. Yes. Frame that. Put it up on the wall. It's mine now, <laughs> right? You're not going to get a letter in the mail from God. You've loved sufficiently. <laughs> Congratulations. You've, you've, you've made it. That's why, why we sing. It's Christ's righteousness alone. We're going to hang on to that. So we're going to sweep, sweep back around to that. You're never going to fulfill the love, right? You're never going to love enough. It's always going to be in front of us. It's always going to be something that we're striving for, something that we're always trying to prioritize. Love ought to be that for us. That's what Paul starts this off with. There's no denying that. So look at this next section, the second part of verse 8. He says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. There's a lot of theology to that statement. A lot. And we're going to dig into some of that today. Because there's a lot of also bad theology in that. Okay? So let's, let's dive in here a little bit. Because this is, there, this is one, there, there's, there's two, and I'm going to spend a little time on the first one. There's a second one. I didn't really title the slides, frankly, because I, I ran out of time. But, um, but like, there, there's two, like, aberrant, wrong ways for us to interpret these verses. And then there's what 
God, what, what the counsel of God and his word reveals to us. And so we're going to get to that at the end. We're going to go through the, the, the wrong ways first, okay? The first one here is he says that, that uh, the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Like as in we ought to fulfill the law. Like that there's a, that there's a requirement that has been levied upon us. That like God pulled this fast one on us and he's like, you know, Paul just spent 11 chapters going through why we, we, are, we are righteous through Christ's sacrifice, through his life, right? And we have this great exchange where we get Christ's righteousness and he takes on our sacrifices and we stand before the throne, faultless, right? All the stuff we just sang, perfect songs, Jennifer, thank you, right? Like, like that's exactly what we've been, what Paul's been laying out. And now he says, love, because that's you fulfilling the law. Sorry, I thought, I thought we were done with the law. Is, is love just like, did we just boil this down and say, well, if I love, okay, work with me here, because I think this is what most Christians go down the path of. If I love well, then I will satisfy the requirements of the law. I will naturally do the things that the law requires. It sounds okay, doesn't it? But it's not okay. Love is not another place of obedience for us. He didn't just swap out one law for another law. He didn't just take the, whatever, 618 pharisaical laws that, that the Jews had in place and just swapped it and went, okay, now do the love thing. It sounds better, it feels better, but is it just another law? Is it just something different for us to obey? I mean, go on and read, um, wait, no, don't read it. Oh, yeah, go, go back to Romans 6.14. Because we, we got to pair this up. We got to connect these things. Romans 6.14, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. We were ecstatic when we were, when we were talking about this one, weren't we? No more law. We're under grace. We've been saved by grace alone through faith alone. Grace is God's undeserved merit towards us. Jesus came, gave us his righteousness, took on our sacrifices. All we do is believe and trust in him. We don't have any law. Or, or 7, what is it, 7, 14, uh, 7, 4, Romans 7, 4. Likewise, my brother, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. You've died to the law. So why is Paul now saying that love fulfills a law that I've died to? Or why is he saying you fulfill the law that you're no longer under? You see the, you see the complexity here? You know, we, we can read through this and we can just go, oh yeah, I just, I just love, as a Christian, we just love. And uh, I don't know, God works out everything else. That's not what he says. So what does he mean? Look at verse, uh, Romans 13, verse 9. He kind of doubled down on this. He says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment. So all of them are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So it seems like he's taking this whole basket full of old laws, 
And he's saying, here's your new law. Your new law is to love. And we went through it last week. And man, like we, we dove into what that was. And it, it's a lot, right? Like genuine love. That's harder. That's, that would be a more difficult law than those laws. Would you agree? I mean, what does Jesus say on the Sermon on the Mount? The Sermon on the Mount says, hey, don't murder. And he goes, don't be angry. Ugh. I, I got the note, don't murder one. <laughs> Locked up. Like, I'm not worried that tomorrow I might murder. But I might get angry. Right? And so he goes through all this in the Sermon on the Mount. So the, this law of love would be more difficult for us to live by. It's not easier for us to live by. You with me on this? So then the question is, is that, is that what he's trying to say? Is this the new law for us? Are we still under a law? Is God still looking at you and, and analyzing your love each week and going, eh, you know, you could have been a little better here. You could have been a little, you know, like tweak this, adjust this. And, and hopefully, man, if I, if I love well enough, I'll be in heaven. No, it's not what he's saying. It can't be what he's saying. But it seems as though Jesus says that. Go back to Matthew chapter 22, verse 35. <laughs> this love your neighbor as yourself didn't, didn't come out of nowhere, right? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 35, when, um, <coughs> excuse me, it says, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your, and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So all the law and the prophets, Jesus is saying, rests on these two things. Love God and love others. And if you do that right, you'll earn yourself heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying here. This is complex. You guys with me? Like, there's, there's a lot of theology packed into this one little expression that love fulfills the law. So we've got to understand this right, or else we, we trap ourselves right back into the critique of the Pharisees, which was what? That they trusted in themselves for righteousness. This is what we mean when we, when we live out and we say that we're saved by faith, that we trust in Christ for our righteousness. Our right standing with God is based on what Christ did for us, not based on us. You guys with me on that, right? Like, that's why we call it the good news. It's the gospel. Like, that's the point. And so, if we're just moving things around and reinterpreting things, and we go out with the old covenant, in with the new, just different sets of laws, we've totally missed it, because that's not what he's saying here. You know, he references the Ten Commandments. They're asking him about the Ten Commandments, right? The first four of the Ten Commandments are love, love God, right? The last six are love your neighbor. And so you could kind of go down this path of like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But is that right? I'm not saying what Jesus said was right. Are we interpreting it correctly, just so we're clear, okay? Are we understanding that right? Is that what Jesus meant by on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Is he saying that if you just love well, you will be credited 
with fulfilling the rest of the law. I think that's what most Christians think. I think that's what we think. Okay, the other option. Go to Romans 13, uh, 10 now. Listen to what Paul says. After that, right, after he, he's basically quoting Jesus, then he says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. He's pretty intentional that love fulfills the law. He said it twice in three verses. This is, this is Paul's point here. And so we need to understand what that means. And it seems as though he, what he does in verse 10, and this is what's crazy, right? He drops off the love of God. Right? He's, he says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. He's just talking about our love for each other. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So he's like, he's like no, like, this just has to do with you. It's as if he, he drops off God and he says, it just matters how we love each other. That's the second point. That's the second way, like, that love somehow avoids the law. It's not that love ob- creates obedience to the law, which is the first one, but that love avoids the law. That, like, it doesn't even matter really what, who God is. We should just love each other. The world agrees with that statement, right? Love is the highest thing. We just pursue love. Truth doesn't matter. Who God is doesn't matter. Who Christ is doesn't matter. What matters is that we just love each other well. Like that statement, if that was true, like there would be, like everybody would agree with that. Would you, right? Like no matter where you would come from, people would be like, I can sign on to that because I don't know about God, but I know I like love. Everybody likes love. Nobody raises their kids to hate, for the most part, I would imagine, right? You don't say like, oh, don't forget, Johnny, hate your sister today, right? Like, nobody does that. Everybody teaches love. Everybody agrees that love is the right thing. And so, is that what he's saying here? That it's like, we just, just get rid of all of the theology, get rid of Christ, get rid of God, and like, let's just focus on love. You hear that a lot. You hear that a lot. In fact, that's the primary offense to the cross. That God, in in showing his love for us, has somehow lost that, like, and that it's been stolen and reinterpreted, and the words have been changed. The, The definition of love, which we talked about last week, has been changed. And they go, it doesn't matter. And we go, but, but doesn't it say that God is love? Isn't, isn't God the definer of love? How can you then separate love from the creator of love or from the definer of love? And yet that's the second stance. And so we got to really understand this. And, and neither of those are right. Right? Not, neither of those interpretations of us going like, does, do, do I just need to obey and just be, be like, really loving and then and then I'll I'll be considered satisfying the law or do I just kind of ignore who God is and I just love everybody and I'm and I'm good. Those are those, I think those are like the two primary ways that we we apply these verses in our lives. And I don't think either one of those is faithful. So go back. So we we, we got to anchor on this word fulfill. It's it's man if it, it's so good. So, I mean, I'm not trying to like 
Uh, anyway, it was really good. I would encourage you, I'm not going to give it enough credit here or time now, but if you go Google and start diving into the fulfillment of the law and what that means, it's, it's really good. And here's where it started. If you go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 2, <coughs> Paul talks about this. It's almost as if it's foreshadowing, right? He says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and, our, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Ready? Here you go. Verse 4, underline it if you got it. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So, so what, he, what he takes is this, this, the law, right? The rules. And he says, like, th- those were never going to do what God wanted. They were never going to create righteousness in us. That wasn't the point of the law. And I know we think that. Like, man, if we just obey the law and we just do all these things, then, then I'm going to be righteous. And God goes, no, that will never work. You need Christ's righteousness alone. Like, that's it. You're, you're never going to be able to do enough or live perfectly. Like, it's, it's not going to work. You can't fix a sin. We've talked about that all the time, right? There's nothing you can do. You can apologize, but you didn't, you didn't change it. You're still an offense. It's still a rebellion, and it's in the history, and there's nothing you can do to solve that problem. So if we think that we're going to trust in ourselves for righteousness, it's not going to work. And so he, he says it's what the law could not do. That's what he says. And so he gives us the law of the Spirit, of life. The Holy Spirit, right? Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit that indwells us, that produces what? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, right? All those. Love, love. The Holy Spirit produces this love in us. And what does it say in verse 4? In order that the righteous requirements of the law would be fulfilled in us. So it's the Holy Spirit, right? It's the spirit of life that fulfills, same word, the requirements of the law. So how does that work? Go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. A lot of people have spent a lot of ink on this. What did Jesus mean by that? Because now he's saying, who fulfills the law and the prophets? He does. But then we just read in Romans 8 that that. The, the righteous requirements of the law are going to be fulfilled in us, okay? So, yes, Jesus fulfills the righteous requirement, and the righteous requirement is fulfilled in us. How? Because God dwells within us. You guys with me on that? Like, that's the connection. It's the only way those two truths can be true at the same time. Jesus fulfills the law, and the law is fulfilled in us because Jesus 
is in us, right? He sends the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to empower us, to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So it's not you that's becoming more loving. It's the Holy Spirit that's doing more work through your life that's been a living sacrifice to God. It's not semantics. It's, and I know it can sound like just we're just playing around with words here. But that's not what he's doing. You don't need to become a more loving person. You don't need to try to be more loving. You with me? It is God that is going to change you from the inside out. It's God that does this through his Holy Spirit. This is critical because it's not that you're just obeying the law and it's not that you're ignoring who Christ is. In fact, who Christ is matters significantly to this because the world has no hope without Christ. This is why Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's, that's not like a, we're, we're not saying like there's no other good ethics out there. It's just saying like, Jesus is, like, has to dwell inside of you. Like, God has to make his home in you. And you can go back and read John 15, 16, and 17 and read about Jesus talking about what that looks like, but that's a real thing. It's a real thing. And that's God's Holy Spirit that, that convicts us, that reminds us of his words. And if you're in here this morning, you're like, man, I just... I don't know what this Holy Spirit thing is that you're talking about. I'm good with all the theology. I just don't, I don't really get what that is. That seems, it seems to be this, this connection between this like spiritual truths and spiritual things to like physical reality. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that, it's the Holy Spirit that makes that connection. And that's not some mystical thing. And for sake of time, I don't have time to go through all of it, but Jesus says, I have to go away but I'm going to send you a counselor. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to be with you forever. That's God's deposit in us. That's, that's his rescue. His rescue wasn't just on the cross. I mean, although that's the thing that affected it. But the, the living out of that rescue is by the power of the Holy Spirit every single day. It's not based on your own obedience. It's based on the Holy Spirit. Now, we need to give our lives up to God to be used by him. So it's Jesus that fulfills this law. Go, go to John chapter 5, verse 39. How does Jesus fulfill the law? A lot of people have understood this as like the, the law ended, and then Jesus like established this new law of love. And like that's it. And there's just this. That's not it at all. In fact, look at what he says in John 5, 39. <clears throat> you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. In other words, through obedience to the laws, you have eternal life. He says, and it is they that bear witness about me. He's saying like, all of the Old Testament is bearing witness about Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus. That's what it means by fulfillment. It's like, it's the goal. It's the objective. The law wasn't satisfied until Christ came. Like that was our fulfillment of the law. It was satisfied. It was completed. It's not that it ends and then Jesus starts. All of that is still true. That's why we still have this in our Bible. 
That's why we still read the Old Testament, because it points to Christ. It's, it, it's continuous. Or turn over to Luke chapter 24, verse 44. <clears throat> He says, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be, what? Fulfilled. And, and we don't have enough time to go through this. The, the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, that's everything. Just the same, when you're reading the genealogies, <laughs> And you're like, man, why, why, why? I, I love you, God. I just, it, how, and is this helpful? It is. It all is. And, and maybe not to you right now at this particular time, but, but it, it's all this continuous revelation of God to, to establish the law, to reveal to us our disobedience. The law was not meant to make us great, perfect, obedient people that now do everything that God wants to do. It was there to reveal our disobedience and to point to our need for something more. And then we could go, like, I, I, I started, this sermon went right, and like, I started going down this whole other path because there's so much to that. And maybe someday we'll, we'll get back to that when, when God leads us there. But like, like, Christ is our Passover lamb. He, he fulfills the Passover the ceremonial, the sacrifices, we finally have that in Christ. The righteous requirements, the moral requirements of the law, we have that fulfilled in Christ, right? Like, like Christ fulfills all of that and he fulfills the righteous requirements of the law entirely. So what do you have to do? What do you bring to the table? That's what Christ did. What do you bring? It's a potluck. Jesus, Jesus brought everything. What are you gonna do? Show up with a loaf of bread? You see what I'm saying? And this is what he's pointing to. This is, this is incredible because when he says that the law is fulfilled by our love for one another, that's not just an ethic of just love a lot. And you never tell anybody the wrong thing because it might be offensive to them. And you got to love first and let God work out the rest. And we could go down a whole other sermon about love and truth and like these things tied together. I don't have enough, this is why I talked for like 55 minutes last week. I don't have time for that. I, I do, that, that sounds bad, but we all have time for that, right? Anyway, priority, anyway, whatever. What did I say at the beginning? Um, and, and so he, he's, he's building this up, and he's trying to explain to us that, that love is perfect love, fulfills all the law, because that love will, will live out through us in a changed heart. This has been God's plan from the beginning to change our hearts. He reveals the law, shows us our disobedience, and even in the midst of that, before Christ came, there were still people that went, the, the, people that, that feared God, that trusted in God, were like, I just don't feel like I just sacrificed this lamb, and I'm going to walk out the tent, and I'm going to go commit another sin. And I, I just don't understand how this is sufficient. That's how the people prior to Christ were saved. You guys understand that, right? Like they went, I don't know what the right solution is, but this just doesn't seem like it's right. It doesn't seem like this is enough. And they were right. It wasn't enough. 
You can read through Hebrews. The, the blood of lambs and goats will, will never satisfy sin. How does blood have anything to do with your anger or your jealousy or your pride? It doesn't. It shows us our need for something deep, and it shows us that, that rebellion deserves death. That's what it shows. And so Christ comes, and he shows us what obedience looks like, and then he takes on our rebellion, and he dies for us. And then Paul says, it's Christ that fulfilled love. He fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law, and now you live. Go back to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31, 33. Because it, it feels like sometimes it's just Christians reinterpreting Scripture, frankly. I mean, that, that's, what, that's what Jews would, would accuse us of, right? They were like, oh, you're just like tweaking things. You just took the Ten Commandments, made them two. You know, you just, you, you, you know, you're, you're, make, you're trying to fit these things in. Look at, look at Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant. No, yeah. What I put in there? <laughs> I was going to read the whole thing, but I decided. For this, I'm going to back up. I'm going to read 31, okay? Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, New Testament, okay? This is 600 years before Jesus. You guys tracking with me here? This isn't a new idea. God wasn't reacting. He says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This wasn't new. You see, those who feared God and, and were, were rescued and saved then before Christ read this and were like, I can't wait for that day. The Messiah is going to come and he's going to bring that. And I'm longing for this day that, that God writes these things on my heart. My heart, sorry. <laughs> that like, like that, that's, that, that's written on all of our hearts. And, and he goes on to say, that you're not going to be teaching people. Like, like people are going to know who God is they're going to know what love is because love is going to reside in them. So what's the effect? What do, what do we end up seeing out of this? Go to Psalm 119, verse 97. We're going to close with this here. Because what's amazing, <coughs> this law that lives out in us. If we're looking at obedience, if we're looking at checkboxes, if we're looking at trying to figure out how to obey that, we've missed it. If we've discarded Christ and the rescue plan of God, we've missed it. But if we look at God's law, the way the psalmist here in 119 looks at it, then we've got a changed heart. And so this should be convicting to us as we read through this because this describes the Holy Spirit's affections in our lives. Listen to what he says. Oh, how I love your law. 
It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the age, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. That's a changed heart. When we read God's commands, and the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we long to fulfill them. We long to obey them. See, our obedience doesn't create love. Love creates a desire for obedience. We ought to want to know God's will for our life. We ought to want to obey. And if you're in here and you're like, that's not me, go to God. Ask him to convict you, change you. Because it's not a matter of just fulfilling the requirements. It's not you. It's Christ in you that's fulfilling the law. And this is salvation. This is important. And so when we read through this, I just, I plead with you, man, I, I hope that you don't go down this works righteousness land. Paul just spent so much time trying to get us to understand that that was totally worthless and not saving. So don't get dragged back into it with just a different word called love. Trust in Christ. Desire to love his word. And you know what you'll do? You'll pour over this. You'll dive into it. You should go, God, what do you want to say to me? It might sear. and It might hurt when he convicts us. But it hurts in a good way because you go, you need to hear that, God. 